We're reading today from Mark chapter 9, um, starting at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Thanks for reading, Poppy. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church. Only thank you for being with us. Uh, we're coming uh, quickly, aren't we, to the end of the year. Uh, it might not feel like mid-November when you look outside at the weather that's going around us at the moment, but we are. We're, we're actually uh, mid-November. It's only a few more days until we'll be in December. It's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? The year is nearly at the end. And so over the next three weeks, as Jack mentioned before, over the next three weeks, we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about how things might be different next year, uh, perhaps some things that might stay the same, and some of the things that might be different in our church next year. Over the next three weeks, Jack and I are going to be talking about some changes that are happening in the way in which we look after our youth programs, the way in which we look after our young adults, the way in which our kids' programs are run. We're hoping that as we do this, we'll together grow in excitement as we see what God has planned for us next year. What will Trinity Church be on about in 2023? That's what I want you to be thinking through. And to help you with that, there are three questions that we're going to be used to kind of guide us through this thought process over the next few weeks. I think they're helpful questions. Those questions are on the screen behind me. Uh, What do we want for God? That's the first question. What do we want for God? Second question is, what do we want for us? And by us, I mean us here at Trinity Church Unley. What do we want for us? And thirdly, what do we want for the city of Unley? What do we want for our part of the world in which we live? And we're going to be working through these these three questions over the next three weeks. Today, we'll be looking at that first question, what do we want for God? In a way, that's a bit of a presumptive question, isn't it? I mean, how can we speak... On God's behalf. But just try and get beyond that for a moment. And let me ask you again. What do you want for God? How would you answer that question? What do you want for God? I want to give you a moment or two. To think through that question. But as I do. I'm also going to put a a kind of a scene in front of your mind. When was the last time that you stood on a train platform? 
You ever stood on a train platform waiting for a train to arrive? Often we kind of gaze off into the distance, don't we? Trying to spot the first sign of when the train will arrive. Depending on your mood, you might be kind of flicking through something on your phone or you might be reading a book. And often platforms have a a yellow painted line on them, don't they? A little bit like this uh, photo I've got on the screen behind me. And I think the idea is that we stand back behind the yellow line until the train has stopped. Now, years ago, Meredith and I were on a a family holiday with with Meredith's family, and we were deep in the English countryside. It was a glorious afternoon, and we were waiting at an idyllic English train station, a bit like this one. The sun was shining. We'd had a good day. We were adult kids now, and we were kind of messing around on the train platform. I think, from memory, we were throwing a tennis ball to each other. Perhaps not the most sensible thing to do on a train platform, but that's what we were doing. It was perfectly quiet. There was no one else around. A sunny day, birds chirping in the background. You get the idea. Waiting for our train. And then way off in the distance, someone saw the train coming. And we looked. And there it was, just a tiny speck, way, way, way down, far away at the end of the train track. And so we went back to throwing a tennis ball, ignoring the yellow line. And then suddenly there was just this almighty roar and this blast of hot air and the ground just shook. This is what it sounded like. background, so, so far away from us, was suddenly thundering past us, and most of us were on the wrong side of the yellow line. I think I was about 30 centimetres from the edge of the platform. It was what I thought a quiet day in the countryside, and only afterwards did we realise that we were waiting on the edge of a high-speed rail line, and the trains were moving past at more than 200 kilometres an hour, up to 300 kilometres an hour, And so that train we saw in the distance, although it was tiny and insignificant, merely a moment later it was thundering past us. It looked so small and then it was right on top of us. And actually it was a huge train, maybe 10 carriages long, hurtling past at hundreds of kilometres an hour. And here's the thing that I want you to think about this morning. At first glance, we failed to see the size and the power and the strength and even the danger of that train. It looked like a tiny speck far away in the distance. Of course, it was always huge. It was always moving almost dangerously fast. And here's the thing. If we had a pair of binoculars or if we had a telescope or something like that, we would have been able to magnify the train in the distance. We would have been able to see it for what it really was, right? But instead, we just chose to ignore it. And we're Aussies and train takes, you know, trains that far away, they take 10 to 15 minutes to arrive, don't they? And then boom, it was upon us. I think it was John Piper who said something like this, you can use a magnifying glass to make something that's really small actually look big. That's magnifying something. You can also magnify something by using a a telescope or a pair of binoculars to, to see something that's actually very big, but just far away. And here's the thing, what do we want for God? That's the question I'm asking you to think through today. What do you want for God? 
What should we be wanting for God as a church into 2023? And, and here's the thing that I would love us to be thinking through. Wouldn't it be great for us to be magnifying God in 2023? I think King David has the same sort of idea in his mind when he's uh, praying or singing Psalm 34. I've got these words on the screen behind me. Psalm 34, I'm going to read just the first three verses. This is the ESV translation, so you won't see it exactly the same in your Bibles. This is what it says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What do we want for what do we want for God? Well, here's how I think King David would answer that question. King David wants God to be magnified, to be seen for who he really is. He wants his name to be exalted. And I'd love us to be doing that here at Unley too. To see God magnified, to help each of us to see God for who he really is. Now, here's what I mean by that. Take a moment just to. Now, close your eyes for a second and just imagine a picture of Jesus in your mind's eye. What does Jesus look like in your mind's eye? I think for some of us, we'll see Jesus as a, a peace-loving carpenter, a meek and mild man. Perhaps he's got a, a flowing robe and a long beard. Maybe you see him as a, a wise and good teacher. And Jesus certainly is all of those things. But here's the thing. If we want Jesus to be magnified, if we want to see Jesus for who he really is, then we'll see him also as big and as glorious and as powerful. We'll see him on his throne. We'll see him as commanding and powerful. Sure, he's still approachable. He's still kind and he's still loving. But he's also glorious. I think that's what it means for us to see Jesus magnified. It means that together we would exalt his name. It means that together we would praise him all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think it means we would desire as a church to, to listen to Jesus' words and to follow him. What do you think? Is that, is that what you want for God? To see him magnified and praised and adored and worshipped, and listened to, I think that would be a great thing for us to do. As a church, we've been dipping in and out of Mark's Gospel uh, all through this year. We've looked at the opening chapters of Mark's Gospel. We uh, also considered a bit about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We went on three boat trips with Jesus. Today, I want us to see Jesus magnified in Mark's gospel, glorified, shining bright. And we get a, a glimpse of this in Mark chapter 9, the passage that Poppy read to us before. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to open up to that passage. But before we actually look at uh, chapter 9, I want you to come back to the last bit of chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a crucial part in Mark's gospel. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to verses 27 to 30 of Mark chapter 8. This is, I think, the turning point in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Peter, the uh, disciple Peter, has finally declared who Jesus is, the Messiah. And that kind of marks the halfway point in the Gospel. He's finally understood who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. 
We see that in 27 to 30 of Mark chapter 8. And immediately afterwards, immediately after that acknowledgement of Peter's, Jesus goes on to speak of his rejection, his suffering, and ultimately his death and resurrection. And that shocks Peter, doesn't it? If you're looking along, you'll see that shocks Peter. And so down in verse 32 of Mark chapter 8, Peter rebukes Jesus. And so we see that although Peter has come to see Jesus as the Messiah, he, he has no idea really of what it means for Jesus to be that Messiah. It's like a roller coaster of emotions going on in the gospel at this point. The disciples must be going up and down in their moods. See, one minute they must feel elated on top of the world. Jesus is the Messiah, our friend. He's the Messiah. And the next minute he's telling that he's going to be killed and, and, and destroyed. And not only that, but that they too also will need to take up their own crosses. Have a look what it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And you can't blame the disciples, can you, for wondering perhaps at this point if they had made a huge mistake following Jesus. Was it worth the cost? In chapter 8, it ends with this warning for the disciples about, about being ashamed of Jesus and how the Son of Man will then be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Kind of a strange thing for Jesus to be saying. He's sort of pointing and pointing to the future times, pointing to the, his return when he comes back in his Father's glory. I reckon all of this must have been pretty confusing for the disciples. They'd seen Jesus act with power and authority. They'd seen him healing people and casting out demons. They'd, they'd seen him speak with power and act with power. But now they hear him speaking about his suffering and death. And they might be wondering if they put their eggs in the wrong basket. Well, you might be wondering today, maybe you're counting the cost of following Jesus. Have you put your eggs in the wrong basket? Maybe you're here today because a friend has asked you to come along to church with them. Maybe you're a kind and generous friend and so you put up with your friends talk about Jesus and their desire to live for him but at the same time you just think that person's just a little bit strange. And I reckon at this point in the gospel Peter and the disciples might have been feeling a bit unsure as well. And so at the start of chapter 9 Jesus tells them that some, some of them will see the kingdom of God come with power. I think it's supposed to be an encouragement for them. You see that there? Start of chapter 9. And then six days later, three of the disciples, Peter, James and John, and us as readers, will we get a glimpse into the future, a sneak peek of who Jesus is and what he's like. We get a look at the power of the kingdom of God. Let me read to you from verse 2 of chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain. When they were all alone, where they were all alone, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. 
This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. I wonder what stands out for you in this kind of sneak peek, the power of the kingdom of God. What stands out for you in this passage? First thing that I notice in this passage is the, the kind of the presence of, of Moses and Elijah, these tremendous men from the Old Testament. Commentators kind of make a point here about how Elijah represents the prophets and, and Moses the law. But I, what I want you to notice simply here is two guys who are long dead, now alive and recognizable and walking around and talking with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've given much thought to death this week. Some of us probably have. Here I want you to see the power of the kingdom of God, the power of of resurrection. Two men long dead and here very much alive in bodily form, walking and talking with Jesus. If you've lost a friend or a family member or you've just been considering your own mortality recently, what a powerful scene this is. The kingdom of God is one in which the dead in Christ will be raised. I hope that's an encouragement for you. The next thing I think we notice in this passage is, well, we notice Jesus, don't we? Mark tells us that he was transfigured. I don't know if you know what that means. I don't think Mark really explains what he means by that. But but something glorious is happening here, isn't it? His clothes are dazzling white, bright, like nothing on earth. I think we're supposed to see here Jesus dressed in in heavenly garments. The overall picture then is one of glory and majesty and power and dominion, isn't it? I want to suggest to you this is what Jesus looks like, magnified, glorified, commanding, powerful, radiant. And for Peter and James and John, I think this is kind of a glimpse into the future. This is a snapshot of the crucified, risen and exalted Jesus. For Peter, James and John, for the disciples, just a a few minutes later, they start walking down the mountain together and it seems at that point that the heavenly clothes are gone. The dazzling light is just a memory. Jesus is back to how he was. But for us today, I want to suggest that perhaps this is what Jesus looks like right now. We can't see him with our eyes, but we live in the age, don't we, in which Jesus has been crucified, in which he has been raised, and where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he reigns supreme. My guess is, is that today he's wearing his heavenly clothes, dazzling. Let me ask you, is your view of Jesus big enough? You need a device to magnify him so that we we see him for who he really is today. Now, I hope that we'd be a church that would be able to see Jesus like this, that we'd be able to be a church that prays like King David prays, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let me go back to just asking that, that big question for you. What do we want for God? Here's at least part of how I want to answer that. We want God to be magnified, to be seen for who he really is, as big and as powerful and as majestic and dazzling and in control and supreme. 
And when we see him that way, I reckon it'll be easier for us to obey the command in this passage. Did you see the command in the passage in Mark chapter 9? Did you notice the instruction or the the command? It's there in verse 7 of Mark chapter 9. Let me read it to you again. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You might remember a similar voice back in the baptism of Jesus in chapter 1. Here uh, we have God the Father speaking of his Son. This is my Son whom I love. And the instruction, listen to him. If you've got your Bible still open, just look back at what Jesus has been saying to the disciples. He's been speaking about his suffering and about his death and about his resurrection. He's been telling the disciples that they must deny themselves and, and take up their cross and follow him. He's been saying that those who are ashamed of him in this generation, well, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. These are not easy words, I think, for the disciples to digest, are they? Not easy words to listen to. But here's the thing, I think having had their eyes open to the glory of Jesus, having seen him dressed in his heavenly clothes, having seen a cloud descend and having heard the voice from heaven reinforce who Jesus is, how much easier must it have been for them to listen and obey? What a tremendous encouragement for Peter, James and John and what a tremendous encouragement for us as readers as we seek to follow and listen to Jesus. Here we see a picture of what Jesus is like, dressed in his heavenly clothes, commended by God the Father as the Son he loves. Here we see Jesus clearly, not not far off in the distance, not as he might appear if he was way down the end of a train track. No, here we have a, a magnified view of Jesus, exalted, glorified, who he really is. How do we keep seeing Jesus like that? That's the question really, isn't it? How do we keep seeing Jesus for who he really is? I think part of of the answer to that must be what happens here on a Sunday morning. I love the way that our band and our musicians help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and see him for who he really is. Singing our praises to him, honouring him, praising him. Our musicians help us to do that, don't they? And in a way, the the truths that we sing seem to reverberate throughout the week. And I don't have a musical bone in my body, but I hear others say that music sticks with you, right? It might be the case for you, that you hum or you sing the songs throughout the week, reminding yourself of what Jesus has done, of who he is. And that, in turn, helps you to listen to his words. Here's another way. Each week at... Trinity Church, only we seek to listen to the voice of God by, by reading his words. Perhaps you have a moment with God on your own in the week or with your families or with your housemates where you sit and read Jesus' words. And we keep encouraging you to do that. And not just on Sunday, because it seems to me that David doesn't just seem to want to magnify God just on Sunday, but at all times. It would be great for us to be a church that magnifies Jesus all the time, seven days a week. To be seeing him for who he is on Monday through to Saturday as well as on Sundays. Over the last few years, one of the ways we've helped each other to do that as a church outside of Sundays is to encourage people to join community groups. 
community groups are designed to do a number of things uh, to help you get to know a few people well. See, when there's uh, sometimes like a hundred people at church, it's often hard to get to know just a few people well. Community groups help us to do that. But perhaps more importantly, community groups give us a chance to interact with God's Word. They give us an opportunity to discuss and listen and think through what Jesus might be saying to us. They give us a chance to ask questions and and learn from others. I think being part of a community group is a great way to see Jesus through a telescope. A great way to see Jesus magnified. Now, they're not for everybody and not for every stage in our life. And there's, there is no command in the Bible to meet with eight other people on a Tuesday night, share a biscuit or two, is there? No, there isn't. Rather, the command is to listen to Jesus. There are other ways to do that. But perhaps community groups will help you with that task. A little bit later on this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to let us know if you'd like to be part of a community group. You may want to do that, but it's also okay not to be involved in a group. In 2023, I'd also like us to try another way of listening to Jesus in the week. If there's interest, I'd like to set up smaller groups, prayer and Bible reading triplets. The idea here is just for three people to gather together to pray and to read the Bible together. In doing so, to magnify Jesus. Those groups might meet weekly or fortnightly or even online. I'm seeing them as an experimental way to help us meet around the words of Jesus during the week so that we might magnify him. If you'd like to be part of one of those groups, you can indicate that on the form that I'm going to get you to fill out in a few minutes' time as well. Today, I've posed three questions for you. Three questions that we're going to be considering over the next three weeks. The first we've looked at today, what do we want for God? Second is, what do we want for us at Trinity Church only? And the third is, what do we want for this part of the city? And here's the thing for, for God. I hope that in 2023... We'd be a church that would keep magnifying Jesus, that we'd praise him and worship and honour him. Today we've seen King David do this in one of his psalms as he praises God, but today we've also seen what Jesus looks like as a risen, glorified king, wearing his dazzling heavenly garments. He is majestic and big and supreme and powerful. I hope you've been encouraged to see who Jesus is, that he's like this. He's not just a carpenter with some wise words, but he's also God's beloved son who we should listen to. And I pray for us that we would see Jesus with eyes like that. Father God, we thank you for uh, this little section in Mark's gospel, which gives, I think, the disciples a sneak peek of what Jesus is like, glorified, supreme, your son who you love. Father, we pray that you would help us to have eyes that see Jesus like this, that we would know him in his power and that seeing him in this way would help us to listen to his words and follow and obey them. I pray that you would help us to think through different ways in which we can encourage each other to look through the telescope and see Jesus for who he really is as a magnified, supreme reigning king. It's in his name we pray. Amen.